Fantastic Audio presents A Night Divided by Jennifer A. Nielsen, read by Kate Simses. This story is fictional, but it is based on real events and the heroism of a remarkable people who lived behind a concrete wall that stood for 28 years. For Alona, who made it out, and for all those who didn't. Truly, it is in darkness that one finds the light. Meister Eckhart, German philosopher. Chapter 1 When I want the West to scream, I squeeze on Berlin. Nikita Khrushchev, Soviet Union Premier, 1958-1964 There was no warning the night the wall went up. I awoke to sirens screaming throughout my city of East Berlin. Instantly I flew from my bed, something must be terribly wrong. Why were there so many? Although it was a warm morning, that wasn't the reason for my sweaty palms or flushed face. My first thought was that it must be an air raid. My parents had described them to me from the Second World War. I pulled my curtains apart, expecting the worst. But when I looked out, my heart slammed into my throat. Not even the darkest part of my imagination could have prepared me for this. It was Sunday, August 13th, 1961, a day I would remember for the rest of my life, when a prison had been built around us as we slept. Lines of Grenzers, our nickname for the border police, the Grenztruppen, stood guard along a fence of thorny wire, in some places higher than their heads, and for as far as my eyes could see. They stood like iron statues with stern expressions and long rifles in their hands. It was obvious that anyone who tried to cross would get far worse than a rip in their clothes. Because the Grenzers didn't face the Westerners on the other side of the fence. They watched us. It was very clear who they planned to shoot if there was any trouble. If only I'd looked out earlier. During the night I'd heard strange noises. Of hammering, heavy footsteps, and hushed conversations from men with sharp voices. But I rolled over and told myself it was only a dream. Or a nightmare, perhaps. If I had looked, I would have warned my family in time, just as our neighbor, Herr Krauss, tried to warn us. He knew this was coming. Hadn't he said for years that our government was not to be trusted? That we might salute the flag of East Germany, but that it was really Russia we bowed to? And my father had known. My father. As if she had heard my thoughts from out in the kitchen, I heard Mama cry, Aldous? That was his name. And with a final glance out the window, I remembered the reason for Mama's screams. My father wasn't here, nor was my brother Dominic. They had been in the West for two nights and were supposed to have come home later today. With an endless row of guns and soldiers between us, the fence just changed that. I raced from my room and arrived in the kitchen to see my oldest brother Fritz holding my mother in his arms as she sobbed on his shoulder. He eyed me and then cocked his head toward the window in case I hadn't already seen the fence. I only brushed tears from my eyes and wrapped my arms around her back. Maybe she didn't need me, but in that moment I desperately needed her. She felt me there and put a shaking hand on my arm. They've done it, Goethe, she said through her tears. Worse than anyone ever thought. Mama had been a beautiful woman once, but that was years ago. 
She had come through too much war and famine and poverty to care about the curl in her hair or neatness of her dress. Her blonde hair was already turning gray and her eyes bore early wrinkles in the creases. Sometimes I looked in the mirror and hoped life would not be equally hard on me. Why now? I asked. Why today? I looked up to Fritz for an answer. He was nearly six years older than me and the smartest person I knew next to my father. If my mother had no answers, then surely he did. But all he could do was shrug and hold her tighter as her sobs grew louder. Besides, I already understood more than I wanted to. The fence was only the beginning. It had just divided my life in half, and nothing would ever be the same again. Chapter 2 You are your only border. Throw yourself over it. Hafiz, Persian poet, 1325-1389 to I had known something bad was coming ever since the knock on our door Friday evening, two days before the fence. We were in the middle of supper. My parents were discussing the day's news as they always did. Hatred between the East and West was growing, and Berlin seemed caught in the center of what the world described as a cold war, a standoff of loud threats and puffed-out chests. Hopefully it wouldn't lead to anyone bringing out their guns. Germany still hadn't recovered from the last war. Across the table from me, Fritz and Dominic were debating who should get the last dumpling, the oldest brother or the hungriest. And I was telling them all to be quiet, that I heard something. Someone knocked again. This time, everyone went silent. Papa wiped his mouth with a napkin, and after a warning glance for us to remain calm, he went to answer the door. Though my mother whispered that everything was fine, I was already nervous. Whenever unexpected knocks came, my heart waited to beat again until I knew who it was. Eight years ago, my father had been involved in some worker uprisings in Berlin. He had never been arrested for that and insisted he'd done nothing to deserve any special attention, but the Stasi, our secret police force, seemed to disagree. Every few months, they came to ask him questions, looking at him as if he had already been found guilty of something. I always wondered if they were waiting for a reason to take him away. This time, however, my father's face widened into a smile, and in a welcoming voice he said, Herr Kraus! Then he pulled the older man into our apartment with a warm embrace. Have you eaten supper, my friend? Oh, thank you, but I can't stay. Herr Kraus lived next door with his invalid wife. He was a bit odd, collecting scraps of anything that wasn't nailed down and stuffing them wherever the Stasi might not look. He and my father had known each other for as long as I could remember and had been at that uprising together. Mama once told me he definitely should have been arrested and that we weren't wise to associate with him. But when he came in, she left her seat and gave him a polite greeting. The more she disliked our company, the nicer Mama was. A lesson learned from our visits with the Stasi. How can we help you? she asked. Herr Kraus kissed her cheek, then dismissed any further pleasantries with a frown at my father. Well, we need to talk. Papa invited him to sit down while Mama said, Children, go to your rooms. We stood to obey her, but Papa said, Fritz should stay. No, Aldis. He's 14 years old. Fritz should stay. Mama gave in on that argument.
argument, but waved Dominic and me off to our rooms. However, I only went to my bedroom door down the hallway, shut it as if I had gone inside, then crept back to the corner. Dominic watched me with an amused smile, then did the same thing. The whispers are growing louder, Herr Kraus said. The government has got to act before East Germany is completely empty. I already understood that. Our government had closed the border years ago, hoping to stop the flood of people leaving for the brighter lights of the West. But there were always ways through, and trying to keep people in had only made it worse. Another family from our apartment building had left just yesterday, disappearing without a word to anyone. The same thing was happening all over East Germany, especially here in the city. So you think they'll begin arresting people who try to leave? Mama asked. No, Herr Kraus said. I think it'll be worse than that. Your family must get over to the West while you still can. From around the corner, I nodded in agreement. Why couldn't my mother see what was so obvious to Papa and Herr Kraus and so many others who had felt trapped here beneath Moscow's thumb? According to Papa, for the last 16 years, Germany had been split between the East and the West. Our people divided for no reason other than what street they happened to live on. That was part of our punishment for losing the Second World War. Break our country into pieces so we couldn't rise up and threaten the world again, the way Hitler had done. Now Britain, America, and France controlled the western half of Germany, as well as half of the capital city of Berlin. Russia controlled the east, where my family lived. At first, it didn't matter much to us. Most people shopped, worked, or visited just as we always had, and crossing the border wasn't much more difficult than crossing the street. But Russia's promises of a better life under communism weren't happening. As the West repaired its war damages, ours remained like unhealed scars. Their shops were full, and ours constantly faced shortages. They were growing stronger, while we leaned on Russia like a crutch, pretending to be every bit as strong. People had noticed the widening gap between our countries. As more East Berliners left each week, those of us who remained whispered in dark corners about what if we left too. I heard them. I watched as neighbors and friends made their plans to go. My father was one of those who whispered. Our family would have gone to the West months ago if Mama had let us. She was just as stubborn as he was, I supposed. They argued about it all the time, in whispers, of course. Berlin was a symphony of whispers. But this was also our home, and Mama couldn't imagine leaving any more than she could think about ceasing to be German. Choose to go now, Herr Krauss said, or soon you will have no choice. You want us to leave the life we've built here? Mama asked. My widowed mother lives just outside the city. She needs my help. Should I leave her too? Would she ask you to stay here? Herr Krauss asked where it is dangerous to speak or to act or even to think. It is only dangerous because you fill my husband's head with ideas he should not have. Then Mama lowered her voice. This was not the kind of conversation she wanted our neighbors to hear. At least not the neighbors who might report us to the Stasi. She turned her attention to Papa. Besides, our children are in school and you have a secure job. They have schools in the West. Papa told her, we can find a new home and a new job. The refugee camps in the West are crowded and don't have enough food to go around. Mama shook her head. 
After the war, she had gone for months without enough food to eat. Thousands of Germans died of hunger back then, and I knew that memory was never far from her. We have no family or friends there to take us in, and I won't bring my children into a camp. We're not beggars. I'd rather beg there than live here. I had left my hiding place and spoken even before I remembered I was supposed to be in my room. But it was too late to go back, so I added, Please, Mama, listen to them. You should be in bed, Goethe. What if Aldous goes to the West for a night or two? Herr Krauss suggested. He can find you a new apartment and ask about jobs. Papa's voice brightened. I could leave tonight and be back on Sunday. We don't have to decide anything for sure until I come back. Mama was silent for a moment. Then she said, Bring one of the children with you so the employers know you have a family to support. I'll go, Fritz offered. I knew he would. Last week, Fritz told me he wanted to buy some of the West's magazines and come back here to sell them to his friends. You need to help your mother with packing, and Goethe's too young, Papa said. I'll take Dominic. Dominic came around the corner now, smiling as if he had won some sort of prize. I glared at him, but the truth was, I thought he had won a prize too. Why couldn't Papa bring me instead? I asked Papa that very question when he tucked me into bed that night. He smiled and pulled the blankets up to my chin. It's going to be difficult getting across the border in the darkness, he said. Dominic and I will find the way, then return and show it to you in only a few more nights. What if you don't come back? His eyes became sad, though the smile remained. I must come back, because nobody else knows our bedtime song. He got to his feet and started dancing to my favorite song, The Farmer in March, which described all the chores a farmer must do to get his crops ready. They have a lot to do in the home and the garden, he sang as he began pantomiming the words. They dig and they rake and they sing a song. I sang along with him until the very last line. Then he kissed my cheek, wished me a good sleep, and closed the door of my room, saying, I'll see you on Sunday, Goethe. No, he wouldn't. Because two days later, our city would be surrounded with an endless fence of wire and thorns. As I was about to learn, he would never come back. Eventually, Mama dried her tears and told me and Fritz to go get dressed, that we ought to see the fence for ourselves. It was still very early in the morning, and large bulldozers could be heard, already tearing down homes or hundred-year-old trees that were in the way of the fence. Along with most of the people in my neighborhood, I stood on the road, facing the guns that faced us. Mama held one of my hands, and Fritz held the other. No one around me cried, and not even the strongest men fought back. Why didn't we? I looked around, waiting for someone to rush at the officers in a cry for freedom. Then others would join in and fight until we overpowered the guards and showed them we refused to be held in here like criminals or until enough of us were shot. The guards looked prepared to do that, if necessary. Probably everyone here already understood that, because like me, they only stood and watched. Maybe we were all too empty for tears and too horrified for words. 
When I asked Fritz when Papa and Dominic would be able to come home, he only knelt beside me and shook his head. Quietly, he whispered, Papa was a part of the resistance, Gerda. Or they think he was. As long as that fence is up, they will never let him come home, and he won't send Dominic back to this place. But don't worry. I'm sure it can't last long. The people around me had already given a name to this day. Barbed Wire Sunday. The day that divided a city, and eventually a country. Worst of all, the day that divided my family. The sun warmed my back as it slowly rose in the east, and I shivered against it. This early morning light had not ended the long, dark night. No. For us, the dark night had only begun. Chapter 3 It's often safer to be in chains than to be free. Franz Kafka, German author It didn't take long for the government to realize that they couldn't guard the fence so heavily forever. Even with the fence and armed soldiers, people were still finding ways out. If things were bad in our city before, they would only get worse now. We all knew that. Some people made runs in the dark and literally tore their way to freedom. Others tried swimming the canals where the barbed wire couldn't reach. At least one family simply ducked low to avoid gunfire and crashed their car through the fence. Nobody asked who might try leaving next, but everybody wondered. I kept waiting for Mama to tell us we were leaving too. Surely she would, any day now. But she never did. Maybe she had been a prisoner here long before the fence appeared. Protests started in West Berlin. They chanted and held signs and aimed their cameras at the Grenzers, who held up mirrors to reflect the sun into the camera lenses and ruin the pictures. Fritz, Mama, and I stood near the fence and looked everywhere among the protesters for Papa and Dominic. But we could never see them. Have they forgotten us already? I asked Fritz. He smiled as if I'd told a joke, then reached down and ruffled my hair. Papa would never forget us, Gerda. I kept staring, though every time I saw a face that almost was my father, my heart broke a little more. If he hasn't forgotten, then where is he? Fritz turned to Mama and lowered his voice so only the three of us could hear. There's talk about an apartment nearby that sits right on the border. You can enter the back of the building from the east and walk out the front doors into the west. Go straight through the fence. Mama shook her head. The government won't tolerate that for long. I don't want to be there when they come. And they did. Only a few days later, the government bricked up all the lower exits of that building, thinking that would solve the problem. But then people started jumping from the upper windows, hoping the crowd below on the west side would help to catch them. Fritz was there a week later, watching from a distance when a woman threw down a mattress and all her bedding from the third floor while our police banged on her locked apartment door. When the police got inside, she finally leapt out. But the cushions weren't enough for the hard concrete below. The morning after, Fritz showed me the newspaper that described her as a deserter and someone with a weak mind who had believed the lies from the West. I barely breathed as I read the article, but managed to say, She died trying to get free. Why don't they care? Fritz pointed to the final paragraph, which warned the rest of us not to try the same thing. They care plenty, because they want everyone to know hers won't be the only death. 
His warm brown eyes met mine. Even children, Goethe. Soon afterward, the police bricked over all the windows and locked up that building and every other building that stood along the border. Then they made the decision that something more permanent was needed. The fence began to be replaced with a concrete wall that was taller, thicker, and stronger. Sharp edges of broken glass were cemented into the top to prevent anyone from climbing over it. And watchtowers were built so fewer officers could guard larger areas. With one stacked block of concrete over another, our prison slowly became a fortress. And all we did was watch it happen. With each brick, my hopes faded until nothing was left. If there had ever been a chance of Dominic and my father returning, then the wall took that too. My school teacher taught us a new song that thanked our leaders for building a wall to keep the fascists out. I muted my glares and only mouthed the words when my teacher was looking. I couldn't bear to sing the lies. After a couple of months, the West sent tanks to watch their side of the border, so Russia sent tanks to our side of the border. The soldiers stared at one another through binoculars, each trying to guess which side would fire first. They all had fingers on their triggers. One side has to back down or we'll have a third world war, Mama said over dinner one night. The tone in her voice sent shudders through me, but I still mumbled, If the West wins that war, Papa could come home. Fritz kicked me under the table, but it was too late. Mama looked up with eyes widened by dark memories. If the West wins again, then there'll be nothing to come back to, she said. Her eyes glazed over, and I knew she was remembering the things she had often described to us from the last war. The nightly bombings, constant hunger, and millions of deaths of both soldiers and civilians. Nobody wanted another war, not even if it brought the wall down. We will never be able to leave, Mama said. The sooner you both accept that, the happier you will be. I nodded back at her, but I knew I could never again be happy here, and I refused to accept my life inside a prison. Chapter 4 The eye looks, but it is the mind that sees. German proverb. Mama once said the most wonderful thing about being young is our ability to make things normal. That whatever life does to us, no matter how strange, it isn't long before insanity seems ordinary, as if upside down is the way things should be. That didn't make sense to me at first, but over the next four years after the wall went up, I saw it happen more and more. Most children barely notice the wall any longer. They played hoops beneath the eyes of armed border guards in their watchtowers, rolled marbles in the shade of the wall, and learned to do as they were told without asking questions. I was 12 years old now, and the older I got, the more separate I felt from the other kids my age. Because I always noticed the wall. Always. Over the past four years, I had learned to read the guards high up in the watchtowers and know when they were looking and when they had turned away. I knew when and where the guards did their patrols along the border, and where they didn't often go. And more than anything, I knew that nothing happening to us was normal. The only one who really understood that was Fritz, who said it was because I had Papa's blood in me. Not a single morning had passed in the last four years when I didn't think of my father and the courage he would expect from me. 
My walk to school passed very close to the wall, or as close as we were allowed to get anyway. I usually made the walk alongside my only real friend, Anna, who was as timid and shy as I was bold and outspoken. Where I had blonde hair, round eyes, and an athletic body, Anna had darker hair, eyes that nearly disappeared when she smiled, and a thin frame that looked as if she needed to be fed. She worked very hard to stay out of trouble, which made her an ideal friend for me. Unfortunately, my ability to avoid trouble was less skilled. I probably wasn't the perfect friend for her. Today felt uncommonly cold. I was enduring it and hoping not to arrive at school frostbitten. As usual between us, Anna had made the wiser choice. She was wrapped in scarves until there wasn't much visible except for her eyes and mouth. I'd barely remembered my coat. There's a pioneer meeting today, Anna said through what looked like 18 layers of wool. Are you going? I groaned. We went to school to study letters and numbers, then stayed at school as members of the pioneers and learned why freedom was overrated, why individuality was bad, and why we must always avoid the evil influences of the West, such as fancy clothes and Beatles music. I loved the Beatles. But not even Anna knew about that. That secret was only for Fritz and me. He had bought one of their albums smuggled in through the black market, and he and I listened to it very low on nights when the streets were crowded and noisy. Of course I'm going, I said. Not attending could bring my mother a visit from the school administrators, and none of us wanted that. Over the last four years, we'd already had too many questions from the school the police, and even the Stasi about my father. Nothing in East Germany frightened me more than the Stasi. We always knew they were there, even when we couldn't see them. They existed to protect our country from enemies, either foreign spies trying to get in or traitors who wanted to get out. My family wasn't either, but that didn't mean we were safe. After my father left, I had thought there'd be no need for them to visit us anymore. But they obviously disagreed. They had last come almost two years ago, late at night, long after we should have been in bed. I think their timing was meant to make us nervous, and from the looks on my family's faces, it worked. Fritz and I had sat on either side of Mama on the couch. While she answered their questions, I kept an eye on their weapons. If they'd only come to ask questions, why did they bring guns? The Stasi officer who had sat in Papa's old chair was on his second cigarette before the hard questions came. Has all this law returned to East Berlin? I was sure I could hear Mama's heart pounding beside me. Or maybe it was mine, because the officer's tone made it clear that he was no friend to my father. Mama shook her head, and if she was trying to answer in a calm voice, it didn't work. I have not seen my husband since the wall went up. Good, the officer said. We will arrest him if he does return. He took a long drag on his cigarette. Does he continue to work against the government? He never did, Mama said. Another man who had stood by the door walked forward with photos that he had placed in her hands. I leaned over just enough to see an old picture of my father and Herr Kraus, both with stacks of leaflets in their hands. I didn't know what was on them, but from the terse expression on the officer's face, it was obviously something more than party invitations or store coupons. Mama quickly handed the photos back. 
I have no idea what my husband is doing now. He does not involve us in those activities and never did. He never involved Mama or me, but Fritz hadn't looked at the pictures and I wondered if that was because he already knew what my father had been doing. Has Aldous Lowe tried to contact you? The officer asked. Mama shook her head, but when she paused for too long I spoke for her. We have no letters, and you cut the phone lines to the west on barbed wire Sunday. The officer turned his attention to me. His eyes were like ice on my bare skin. I caught some of them myself, child. Does that anger you? Of course it did. But he had the gun, so I only looked down while Mama made humble apologies for my boldness and gripped my wrist like a vice. The Stasi left soon afterward. But even now, two years later, I still felt a chill whenever I thought of them. Since that night, Mama carefully made sure we did everything that might be expected of a good East German family. We waved our flags at the parades and smiled at the leaders of the GDR, German Democratic Republic, our communist government. Fritz joined the Free German Youth and made plans to enroll at the university one day. And at the beginning of every school year, I joined the pioneers. With Anna at my side, I participated in their meetings and activities, chanted the slogan, to be ready, always ready, and wore the blue scarf and white shirt uniform on every holiday when it was required. If anyone was watching us, and we suspected they were, my family now looked as loyal as the best of them. Gerda, stop staring at the wall. Anna whispered to me. Do you think the soldiers don't notice? I think it's too cold for them to bother with me, I said. They watch the university students and the men whose families are on the other side. They don't watch 12-year-old girls on their way to school. Yes, they do, Anna insisted. Turn away, please. Look at anything else. At what? I gestured around me. There's nothing else to see. With all of this gray around us, it's hard to remember we live in a world of color. We called it communist gray. It was the color of our buildings, our markets, our streets. The color of the wall. Even the skies were gray today. Somehow the GDR must have figured out how to bleach that out too. But because I knew it bothered Anna, I stopped looking, and she and I fell into a conversation about the latest hair fashions. It was the sort of conversation two ordinary girls might have on a perfectly ordinary day, even if one of those girls had her mind on something else entirely, as I almost always did. I became so distracted by my thoughts, in fact, that I barely noticed when Anna stopped talking. I probably wouldn't have realized she had stopped walking either if she had not spoken my name. Carta, look! I stopped and turned back to her. To my surprise, Anna stood directly facing the wall. Carta, is that your brother? Several meters away, across the large scar of land that had become forbidden territory, a boy stood alone on a platform behind the wall in West Berlin. I usually tried to ignore the Westerners on those platforms because they made me feel like an exhibit in a zoo. I didn't want their looks of pity or sadness or especially the occasional homesick expression to return to this lesser half of the city. But the boy on the platform seemed to be staring directly at me, and I squinted to see him better. 
It had been four years since I had seen Dominic, and he would be 14 now. Mama kept a picture of him in the front room, and I mentally compared that with the boy now facing me. His face had lengthened and narrowed, but the hair peeking out from his knitted cap seemed about the right color. I would know him if I saw his eyes, but that was impossible from this distance. Still, there was something in his posture, the way he held one shoulder higher than the other. Dominic used to do that. I remembered because my mother always reminded him to stand up straight. It had been a long time since my smile had stretched so wide. That's him, I said. That's my brother. He seemed to recognize me too, or at least he waved. I raised my hand back at him, although such a simple gesture was far too casual for the importance of this moment. For almost four years, neither of us had heard a word about the other, and all we could do now was wave in silence. Does something over there interest you? I turned to see a border guard standing right behind Anna and me, close enough that I could see the stitching of his black gloves. He was shorter than average, with white blonde hair shaved so close to his head that he almost looked bald. He was several years older than Fritz, but there were a lot of patches on his uniform, so I gathered he was more than a low-level officer. His name stitched into the uniform was Mueller, and he stared down as if frightening me entertained him. Mueller had come up so quietly that neither of us heard him, but I should have known Grinzers often patrolled this area. Of course my wave to Dominic would have caught one's attention. Beside me, Anna had turned to stone, or something like it. She wasn't moving, and possibly wasn't breathing either. Not me. I wanted to look up as far as his eyes, stare him in the face, and tell him there was no crime in looking across the wall. More than anything, I wanted to show him I wasn't afraid. Except that I was. Mueller's rifle hung around his shoulder directly in front of me, and he had one hand on the stock. Maybe it was only my imagination, but I could have sworn that the rifle smelled like blood, as if he had used it on someone before. He lifted it over his head and moved his other hand to the trigger. I asked you a question, Mueller said. Who were you waving at? I turned back, but Dominic had disappeared by then. So I lowered my eyes and said to the officer, It was nobody, sir. You'd better remember that next time someone over there waves at you. He let the cold metal barrel brush against my cheek, then ran it beneath my chin and pushed my head up to face him. Because those who get too curious about the other side sometimes get a taste of my bullets. Verstehst du? I stared into his icy blue eyes and tried not to let any hatred show in mine. Yes, I whispered. I understand exactly who you are. Then move along. Don't let me catch you stopping here again. I whispered another thanks to him, which almost immediately began to eat at my sense of justice. Then I grabbed Anna's arm. As terrified as I had been, she seemed worse. Her skin was deathly pale, and she leaned hard against me as we walked away. When Officer Mueller was out of sight, Anna released a gasp of air, then said to me, Promise me you'll never stop there again, no matter who you see on the other side. Promise me, Goethe. 
Though her reddened eyes begged me to agree with her, I couldn't. Maybe I could promise to be more careful next time I stopped, but that was all. I didn't tell her that. She'd have launched into a fit of hysterics, which would have brought on Mueller's attentions again, so I clutched her arm tighter as we continued to walk. My heart was pounding, just as hers surely was, but for an entirely different reason. All I could think was that after four long years, I had finally seen my brother. And I hoped it wasn't for the last time. <laughs>